0: Good morning, everybody. It is so good to be able to come together to worship, uh, even though outdoor, and looking forward to come back to the uh, indoor worship. We gather together as a church, but right now we are able to come together. It is such a blessing of God. And with the support of our AV teams and ushers and uh, security and, and, and hospitalities, thank you all for serving together to make outdoor worship possible for us. Today, we are answering one question. When your hairstyle makes a statement, can your hairstyle even make a statement? Not today, but probably in the first century at the church in Corinth, their hairstyle did make a, a, a statement. You know, today concerning hairstyles, we have many choices. Like for ladies, you have long and short, and you can perm it, you can thin it, you can trim it, you can dye it, you can put on a week. And for a man, you have a lot of choices as well. You can be punky style or spiky style and short and long and wavy and and really, really short and make a design on your skull and write a message there. Or you just go bold, you know, really a lot of choices. But as a whole, no matter what hairstyles you have chosen uh, for you, um, it is not an issue at all in our days today in the LA area, in the United States, and probably in most parts of the world. It is not an issue. But it was an issue in the church of Corinth in the first century, to the point where Paul was consulted about this issue in the church in Corinth. And that happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16. Now, let's read together this passage and get a feel of the tension of the wrestling and struggles that they have gone through. Let's read together. Now I comment you because you remember me in everything and maintain a tradition, even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, even as you read this passage, you can feel that we are dealing with a very complex and difficult passage today. And we have many, many different views on many, many different nuances along the way. Many academic papers have been published, and New Testament scholars have heatedly debated on this passage, and they still disagree. Okay, Good people, but they disagree. So today, my approach to you is to be as pastoral as I can, without confusing you on the nuances of the issue. So my goal is to expound the passage as plainly as possible, and as close to what I think the Bible teaches as I can, within the time allocated for the sermon today. Okay, so let's begin with verses 2 and 3, which I believe it is talking about God's established line of authority. Beginning in verse 2, Paul established the basis for our discussion. He praised the church in verse 2 for being faithful to his teaching concerning worship and maybe on the issues of freedom in Christ as well, uh, because apparently the church in Corinth ha- just loved to be liberated in Christ, okay? And you remember in chapter 10, as we address the food offered to idols and, and eating food offered to idols in the temple, in 10, verse 23, the phrase, all things are lawful has been repeated. This is a phrase, a catchphrase for the church in Corinth. And what happened is they carried it too far. The, the overemphasis of men and women are equal in Christ has caused the distinction between male and female to be blurred. You know, in verse 5, we read that the women were able to exercise their newfound freedom in Christ by ex, you know, exercising their gift in prayer and prophecy in the worship service. So it was acceptable in the church in Corinth. But what happened most likely was the the women went overboard by unnecessarily violating the social convention and also the order of creation. So Paul here has to encourage them to exercise restraint. In verse 3, he established the line of authority. Verse 3, he says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is a husband, and the head of Christ is God. The head of every man is Christ. Christ has authority over every man because he is the creator. The head of a wife is a husband. The husband has authority over his head, though they are equal, equal in everything, both. As image bearer of God, but different in their roles. And the head of Christ is God. God the Father has authority over Christ the Son. And Jesus submits himself voluntarily to the will of the Heavenly Father in the Holy Trinity. There's a headship in the Holy Trinity. See, remember in John chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus said to the disciples, For the Father is greater than I. The Heavenly Father is greater than Jesus. He voluntarily submit Himself under the headship of God the Father as God the Son and God the Spirit. And the line of authority established by God gives guidance on how Husband and wives, male and female, exercise their newfound freedom in Christ. Now with that line of authority established as a foundation, now he moves to explaining and expounding on the head covering that we will be focusing on this morning. In verses 4 to 12, he begins to focus on God's created order as a guideline, as a basis for us to talk about the head covering. Now, it is in the context of a public worship, remember. In a public worship, where many women are allowed to pray and also to teach God's Word, it is in that context. And remember, this is also in a first-century culture. So we as 21st-century Christians today look at that and wonder sometimes, be wilder and say, does it apply? Is it such an essential issue? Do we have to debate on that? But let's try to put ourselves back into the first century and then later on we try to apply that to the 21st century Christians. Verse 4 verse 4 says every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. It says the man who cover his head he dishonors his head meaning his authority which is Christ because Christ is the head of the man. Now, what do you mean by his head is being covered? And when his head is being covered, it dishonors Christ uh, in his life. Now, the word originally uh, about head being covered, literally, it just means down from the head, something that comes down from the head. And scholars begin to wonder, what does it mean? So the main two ideas that is most popular has been, one, it's long hair, your hair coming down from your head. Or it is a, a shawl, a covering of your head, a veil over your head. But I think more likely, it talks about long hair. Uh, because in verse 6, it says, for if a wife will not cover her head, and she should cut her hair short. So it is about the length of, of the hair. And more so in verses 14 and 15 says, Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? So, most likely, this passage is focusing on the length of the head, saying that man, if he have long hair, it is not proper for you to be in leading the worship using your gift of prayer, using your gift of teaching, and stand before the people, what happens is you have negative, you carry negative connotation within the first century Greco-Roman culture. Because when you do that, people may relate you, or you may be alluding to somewhat of a homosexual behavior or a practice of a pagan priest. And you don't want that when you stand before the congregation to lead in prayer and preach, that people have that connotation or feel that you are sending out that message. So don't do that. So in a sense, Paul is saying to the man, have short hair. But in verse 5, he instructs the wife, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. So if we apply the same principle, saying that the head covering is about the length of the hair, Paul is saying that, hey, for wives, uh, when you pray and prophesize in the public worship, make sure your head is uncovered, meaning you have long hair. Cover your, your head with a lot of hair. Apparently, a woman who has short hair in the first century Greco-Romans culture, may convey a sense of that you are unmarried or uh, you are suspect of adultery, or uh, you, you have a very wild behavior. Uh, or even people may feel that you have a lesbian relationship that is ongoing. And you don't want that connotation in public worship when you lead and participate in the worship by prayer or by teaching God's Word. You know, today we don't know How short is considered too short to the point where they feel that bad connotation? And how long is considered too long that brings that bad connotation? But one thing is certain, they must have crossed the line. The men and women in the church in Corinth in the first century, they must have crossed the line. That warranted Paul's exhortation. So Paul expressed his frustration in verse 6. He says, For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Basically, Paul is saying that don't be ambiguous. Don't send out an ambiguous signal with your hairstyle when you participate in the public worship. If you want to do that, (laughs) And be ambiguous, just go all the way and just make sure, cut everything, and be bold. You know, cut off the hair. And it was really a frustration that Paul is feeling for those women in the church in Corinth who try to express their newfound freedom without exercising discernment that is culturally relevant, that is biblically sound, that is in submission, to God's line of authority as they serve in the public worship. So in verses 7-10, to 10, Paul gives the exhortation. Basically, do it God's way. Do it God's way. Respect God's created order. Do it God's way. Verse 7, he says, For man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of men." It says the husband are the glory and image of God, and wives are the glory of her husband. See, for a husband with long hair to appear as gay or pagan, dishonor God. And for a wife to have short hair, so short that it appears she is involved in a lesbian relationship or unfaithful wife, kind of a connotation, it really dishonor her husband. And of course, The husband also dishonor their wives, and wives also dishonor God when they act in this inappropriate ways, of course. So the main point is, we should not dishonor our spiritual head, the line of authority that God has established for us, the authority over us. We should submit to that. We should honor that and not bring dishonor to the spiritual head. And he further adds on the creation order, the created order that God has established. In verse it says, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Meaning, Adam was created first, and then Eve. Okay? And and secondly, it says, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Basically, woman was created to be a helper, suitable for man, and not the reverse. There is an order in terms of the creation of men and, and women. Which means husband is the honor of God because he is created by God and he is image bearer of God. And wives are the honor of their husbands because she's also the image bearer of God. And, and she came from man and she completes the man as a helper without whom the man will be incomplete. So as they serve together, as they form together into husband and wife and build a family together, they honor each other. They are both image better of God and they complete each other. In verse 10, he reminds the women in the church in Corinth, that is why, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angel. And that verse has a lot of debates and different views on what do you mean by a symbol of authority over a head? I think if we interpret consistently in this whole passage, well, for the woman, that's long hair. And for the husband, that is short hair. So he reminded the wives to have a symbol of authority, to have a long hair over her head. And that's another reasoning for women to keep long hair while she prays and prophesies in public worship. You know, the, the prophesies that is the, the prophecies they talk about here is not really so much about the prediction of events coming, but it's really the same term as what we talk about today: is preaching and teaching of God's word. Because of what? Because of angels. This is a brand new topic being introduced into the discussion of head covering of angels. Why? Where does it come from? And two major views of the angels are either they are the evil angels who were defiant against God and rebel, and they became the devils today, or they are the good angels. This is the view I take. That's the angels as the messenger of God, and they are there to watch over God's creation and to protect the worship of his people they like to see that the worshiping of God the worship services proceed with appropriate dignity remember angels was deeply involved in worship by serving God and and coming before God in Isaiah chapter 6 where the seraphims worship God holy 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 and they cover their faces and they cover their feet and with two wings they fly It's in a way of submission before the holy God in their worship. And in the same way, he wants the women to submit to that because of the angels. Because the angel was submitting before the, the holy God. You know, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. The writer reminds us about the angels that are they not all ministering spirits? The angels are the ministering spirits sent out. To serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. The angels are sent by God to serve those who were born again in Christ and to continue to do the proper things, whether in worship or in our lives. So because of the angels, make sure there's a symbol of authority over ahead head. Now, when we come to this point, it is almost like it is a bashing against the women. You know, it is all demanding on the women to submit to, to, to show signs of submission in authority so that you can serve in a public uh, worship. But beginning in verses eleven and twelve, Paul tries to balance the emphasis on the women, but also talk about men and women relationship. Verse eleven says, Nevertheless, nevertheless, in the Lord woman is not independent of men, nor men of women. Men and women are interdependent. Man can do it alone, woman can do it alone, but together we can form a wonderful union to carry out God's mandate for to be fruitful and multiply, to have dominions over his creation, and to have fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. It is interdependence that they are able to Manifest the glory of God and be the image bearer of God together. And especially in verse 12, he reminds Christians in the church of Corinth, for as woman was made from man, yes, it is true, there is a sequence, that, uh, there's an there's a order, you know, men are created first and then women. So man is now born of woman. So after creation... Man first, and then woman, and from then on, every human beings, male or female, are born of woman. And you better respect that. And you better remember that. You know, it's as if Paul is reminding the, the, the men in the church in Corinth, remember that you are born of from a woman. All of you. And we are interdependent before God. But most importantly, the last phrase in verse 12 says, And all things are from God. All things are from God. Men are from God. Women from God. You know, we trace it back to the ultimate and supreme authority, our God. We submit under God. And having expounded the main thrust of the passage, towards the end, verses 13 to 16, Paul gives three guidelines for us to consider when we make a decision what is proper, what is improper in public worship as we exercise our freedom uh, in Christ. First, what is proper? Verse 13 says, judge for yourself, people, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? The answer is no. No, it is socially unacceptable. It has bad connotation. It leaves Bad impression. People take you wrongly when you do that. It is socially unacceptable. It's not proper. So think about what is proper socially in the context that you are situated in today as you consider your exercise of your freedom in Christ in a public worship. Secondly, in verses 14 and 15, he says, Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Learn from the nature. Again, lots of different views. What do you mean by nature? The nature that you are made to be a man, how you feel and how you lean towards certain things. The, 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 the fact that you are made a woman and you have this you know, natural responses as your feminine expression. But those are not very concrete, right? And those are not always true and always clear in every culture and in every individual. More scholars will feel that this is actually talking about the cultural norm and the customs of the days, the normal practices that people have accepted to be the right thing, to be the normal thing to do. For example, in the Old Testament, you know, we talk about long hairs, but in the Old Testament, Uh, Nazarites, those who make a commitment within the time period to refrain from alcoholic beverages just to do God's work and God's project and not to cut their hair. And if you do it in six months or three months, you have a lot of hair, long hair. And the most famous Nazarites was Samson, right? When Samson has long hair, he was powerful. When his hair was cut, you know, he was becoming a weakening. And what about King David's favorite son, Absalom? The most outstanding characteristics of Absalom that people remember is he had long hair and he was a favorite of King David. In those contexts, in those normal practices seem to be acceptable. So it is referring to culture and custom and appropriate and be sensitive to the cultural norm and the customs of the days will be something that we need to consider today as a 21st century Christians. So Paul was instructing them in the 1st century, what about your Greco-Roman culture? What is acceptable in the cultural and custom uh, uh, practices? And finally, in verse 16, he talks about the church. In 16, says, If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Paul was saying that, look at what other churches are doing. Paul was saying that I go to all these churches uh, in the European continent that I have planted. I teach them about the same teaching about, the, you know, the men should have, uh, uh, you know, hair should not be covered, but women's hair should be covered, meaning long, and men to be short, you know. And, and they all accepted that. Why are they accepting it? And why are you not accepting that? And why this issue is such a controversial issue in your church the church in Corinth Paul was instructing the church to look at other churches as a reference as a consideration so that we know what is the right thing to do because other churches who consider the same issue they can shed lights on how we can decide as well as one of the considerations for us to move forward together you know so that's the teaching of Paul in the first century in a public worship about head covering. And if I summarize it, I think the message that Paul tries to convey to us today is respect the God-established line of authority and the created order, and you are free to be yourself. Men and women, if you exercise your freedom in Christ, make sure that you respect God's established line of authority, and also the created order, then you'll be free. You can truly be free and be God-honoring in the process. Now, to many of us, if not most of us, uh, if not all of us, you know, you wonder. I know. I, I know you explained it clearly. And I know that there are still other different views. And it's okay. We can, we can you know, live with our differences because they're all pretty close to the, the, the biblical teaching. But, but what does that have to do with me? Head covering is not even an issue today. The length of hair, style of hair, the color of your hair, the way you do your hair, generally is not an issue in the 21st century America, LA area, or around the world. Generally, it is not an issue. So what is the issue that we need to really learn from this passage today? Let me share with you, first of all, The distinction between male and female should not be blurred. That's the teaching for the 21st century Christians today. Paul keeps talking about the men have short hair, the women have long hair. If you have long hair, you you dishonor your head, your authority. And women have short hair, you dishonor your husband, your authority, your, your head, your spiritual covering. There is a distinction between male and female, and that line should not be blurred. I think that's a message for the 21st century Christians today that we can relate to, especially in the climate that we are in today with transgender issues and with all other issues related to gender. God is saying distinction between male and female should not be blurred. We empathize with people who struggle with that, with real struggle with that, The line should not be blurred. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, when God created Adam and Eve, okay, in the very beginning, it says, So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's a clear distinction between male and female and should not be we should not make the line blurred. By the way we do our hair, by the way we dress, by the way we conduct ourselves within a custom and culture that that we need to be, be sensitive as well, but the line should not be crossed. You know, as I said, head covering is only practiced in a small number of very, very conservative churches nowadays. And most do not require such practice in worship. And remember, there is nothing immoral about your hairstyles or your hats, wearing your hats or your shawls or your veils. But we must be sensitive in a certain culture that the length of your hair can be an issue. The way you dress yourself can be an issue. It can confuse your gender identity. And they might have some social connotation that may not be pleasing to God or honoring the Lord. For example, in the mission field, if you want to reach out to the Muslims, the women are expected to have their head covered at all times. And if you are a missionary and you you are a lady, you may want to lay down your freedom in Christ for the sake to reach them. Like Paul says, I'll be Jew among the Jews. I'll be Gentile among the Gentiles. I'll be weak among the weak so that I can reach some for Christ. In the Jewish circle, Christian men should be ready to wear the yamukah, the skull, the skull cap. When you enter holy places like the Western Wall in Jerusalem, you are expected to put on a cap. A covering. Even though you have freedom in Christ, but you need to be also sensitive to the social norm and the customs of the land. Because even by putting on that, it is not a violation of God's law. It is not immoral before God. So keep the distinction between male and female clear. That's the first application. Secondly, when we talk about men and women, and this passage has been used to talk about complementarians and egalitarians issue, that who is in charge, who is the head, and things like that. And sometimes we, we become somewhat contentious um, or, or feel a sense of, uh, uh, you know, wrestling uh, in, a, in our hearts, so to speak. Well, if we talk about equality in Christ, you know, that we are all equal in Christ, that we are both image bearers of God, then it should be 50 and 50, right? We have 50% and 50% so that we are equal rights. But in the Bible, we see a very good picture of someone holding equality and subordination together. Equality with subordination. And of course, that is Christ Himself. In Philippians chapter 2, that we are also familiar it talks about how christ emptied himself verse 6 says who though he was in the form of god christ was in the form of god of equality did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but empty himself and taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form he humbled himself and becoming obedient To the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ Himself, He holds equality and subordination perfectly together. And He is a model. That even with equality, there are different roles that we play. And even in equality, there's a need to submit to one another for the sake of building harmony, unity, and also effectiveness for a union of marriage, for a family, for a church to be able to grow together, and for a public worship to be God-honoring. We learn how to hold equality and also subordination, humble ourselves unto each other. And finally, this is a passage that gives some light on women in ministry. Verse 5 talks about how the women In the church in Corinth, they were able to pray in public worship. They were able to preach and teach God's Word in public worship, but with one condition, that they have symbol of authority over their heads. Now, different church traditions and different churches who hold different views on that, they will interpret that very differently. What do you mean by a symbol of authority over their heads? In this passage, it seems to alert to long hair. But what is proper? What is proper socially? What is proper without any bad connotation for our church? And, And that's something that we have to wrestle with. Because if we wrestle with it and do it well, then we are providing opportunities and invite women to be a part of worship in a way that is honoring the Lord, in a way that is socially acceptable, and they will be relevant to the custom and cultures of our time, and also our church tradition. So I pray that our church can also learn how to wrestle with that, so that both sexes, male and female, created by God, both image bearers of God with different roles, know how to proceed in a way that we can complement each other, we can bless each other, and we can go together for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for the teaching uh, in, uh, in, in the church, uh, uh, first, in the First Cor- uh, Corinthian church, uh, in, in chapter 11. And, and even though we feel so distanced from those practices and customs of those days, and today, as we live in the 21st century, teach us to know how to apply well so that we are able to honor you Uh, by the way we we have our hairstyle, by the way we dress, by the way we talk, by the way we honor one another and relate to each other, either as husband and wife, male and female, so that we can truly uh, be able to bless each other with the platform, with the privilege, and with the opportunity to exercise freedom in Christ, but with respect to the line of authority that God has established for us, Lord. Teach us to know how to do it well, so that we can truly bless each other for our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.